There is now 364 episodes. Yeah, one a day. And if you listen to one a day, go back to the beginning. You'll be an expert. Eat that, Tony Gunn. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tony Gunn. yeah. Oh, we were joking earlier. Yeah. We were like, I hope I don't accidentally call you Tony Gunn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Hey, man. How'd you sleep last night? You woke me up a few times. I mean, it was better when your mouth was taped. <laughs> you did that, right? <laughs> but you eventually must have taken it off because you were snoring like a bear last well, night. Well, I have like this beard mustache thing, and yeah. I think that's what pulled it off. But yeah, Jason insisted that we share a room, and so we did. And I was like, dude, I snore. So You warned me first. So let's stop talking about sharing a room. Let's start talking about sharing a mic, and let's go get this episode done. Welcome to Making Chips, live from Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, here we are in the hot weather of Phoenix. Yeah. So I'm Nick Golner. I'm hosting today with my friend, my partner, my temporary roommate, Jason Jay-Z Zenger. Hey. And today we're going to talk about what really sells machine tools. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting conversation because obviously machine tools are paramount to making chips and... Everybody wants to know, yeah, like, what is it that sells machine like tools? what actually gets them sold? Yeah. Know? Yeah, we've had some conversations about this, and it's going to be interesting to well, find out. you look out. at, like, how people market things, right? And before we get into machine tools, I want to talk about an advertising strategy that, like, I've never understood. Okay. And I think it really misses the mark. And I could be wrong. There's a lot of people who get paid a lot of money to figure this out. But the ability to climb a rocky mountain is not what sells a truck, in my opinion. It's not like why people buy a truck. Oh, it's just a fancy commercial. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a rock, and this yeah. like, brand new or truck is like it. driving up like some crazy mountain. It's super shiny, nice truck. And yeah. it's like, who actually uses the trucks for that stuff? If you bought a brand new truck like that, you wouldn't take it out there. You know what it is? It's how you feel when you're in that truck. Yeah, like when you're just driving on a flat highway, right. going the speed limit. Yeah, it's like how cool <laughs> you feel in your big truck. You're just truck. imagining driving yeah. it off-road. So. That's how most people would buy it. Yeah, like it's just a most, nice segue. Most people would buy it based on the payload capacity and all that kind of stuff. But Yeah, yeah. maybe, but you're not going to do that. You might move some furniture for your kid that you're trying to get out of the house or something. Right. You know? Anyway. The global manufacturing industry is full of twists and turns. But what does it mean for you? The Making Chips hosts have hand-selected the latest news and they're about to give you their perspective. No hot takes, no political garbage. Just commentary from the perspective of a manufacturing leader. This is MWMN, Metalworking Manufacturing News. So Nick, do you have any manufacturing news for us? Yeah, yeah. Let's get into that before we introduce our guests. So pretty much everyone who sells capital equipment uses the same source to figure out like what the market share is regionally, right? And that's the USMTO. What does that stand for? So I'm going to read from their website. But the USMTO is a project of AMT, our friends, the, the people who put on IMTS, the Association for Manufacturing Technology. Okay. And what it does is it provides the most up-to-date statistics for US, Mexican, and Canadian manufacturing technology market. So who participates? 
manufacturers and distributors of machine tools and other various types of manufacturing technology, they like self-submit, right? So like if you sold a bunch of machines, you would submit it to the USMTO. And then everyone's like, well, why would I give that information away? So there's a contract that like anonymizes it all. And Did you just make up that word anonymize? I feel like maybe that is a made up word. I think it is. What's the word? I don't know. It blends it all together and it detaches it from whoever submitted it. It should be a word. Yeah. I think we just made it a word. Yeah. So when you read the dictionary someday, it'll talk about episode 364, the word anonymize was created. But people wouldn't want to give away the farm and say all their personal or personal professional details. So it blends it all together. And then anyone who submits can receive the report. And it doesn't say like this dealership sold this or this dealership sold that. So it's not 100% accurate, but it gives you a real good feel and a real good sample. So my news today, it comes from the most recent report, which was about February. It comes a little later and it was published on April 10th. So it reads, new orders of manufacturing technology totaled 467.8 million in February, 2023. The Association for Manufacturing Technology reports that orders were 33% above January 2023 and 1.6% below February of last year. So the year-to-date orders for 2023 totaled 819.6 million. It's 10% below the first two months of last year. Okay, so clearly the, the industry is in a downward trajectory at this moment. Yeah, it was the third best February for manufacturing technology orders ever recorded. So that shows you like how, how strong it was last year. Nearly 50% above the average value for February orders. So, yeah, it's like kind of what we thought, right? People were saying, yeah, maybe things will be a little bit flat. We had a booming year last year. I think a big part of it is there's some industries that are down and there's some industries that are really up. But I think people are also just nervous about what's going on in the world, in our country, everything. So Yeah, so we're going to talk about what sells machine tools and what prevents sales is uncertainty. Yeah. That's true. That's the one. Yeah. Well, when people have certainty about what their future looks like, they feel more comfortable with spending a million dollars, a half a million dollars on a machine tool. Yeah. Yeah. So how about I introduce our guests? Yeah. Yeah. Let's get them in. Okay. So like Nick said, we are here in Phoenix, Arizona. We are at Methods Machine Tools West. And our guest today is a veteran of the machine tool industry. And he started out as a service engineer, working his way up through service before he became general manager of Methods Machine Tool West. Welcome to the show, Tony Herod. Thank you. I can't believe I get a talk. I was waiting. Are you guys just going to keep talking? I'm yeah, just going to yeah. sit here. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. I know you've been chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, right. we <laughs> jump in. I saw some smirks over there when Jason was talking about how we taped my mouth shut last night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say something, but I better not. <laughs> yeah. He has this like action. We've talked about this on the episode a few times, and I always joke like, just tape your mouth shut for the episode. Yeah. But apparently, it helps you to stop snoring. It does. Yeah. You were very quiet at the beginning. But yeah, then my yeah. mustache hairs must have got yeah. in there or something. But yeah. You should exactly. try a CPAP machine. It works better. Yeah. Yeah. But then I look like Darth Vader yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So. so we actually have some things in common. So we're here in Phoenix because I'm here for the Industrial Supply Association show. So we have that in common that we both are in the, I guess, distribution business. You're selling machine tools. I'm selling cutting tools. We both service both of those same types of clients, just different products. So it'll be kind of interesting to hear your perspective on things. Absolutely. I was talking about trucks, right? And what sells a truck and how I think a lot of the ads are off. And when you visit us, a typical machine tool builder's website, 
most of them focus on the technical specifics of the machine. Is it boxways or linear guides or different nuances to the spindle and things like that? And I know those things matter. I'm not saying they don't, but I want to hear it from you. What do you think the most important factor for someone who's been doing it for decades, different parts of the country, what do you think the most important factor is with what sells machine tools? Okay, so I'm going to be completely honest, which we should be, right? Yeah, so yeah. the only thing, and I will take this to my grave, the only thing that sells a machine tool, the old saying, a salesman can sell the first one, service sells the rest. If you do not have a service team to support the machine, and if anybody says a machine doesn't break down, they're lying. Yeah, Machines right. break down. Yeah. Cars break down, right? Sure, sure. The service, getting that machine back up and going is the most important thing because that's money to the customer. When that machine is down, the customer has got to get that thing going. And it's a lot of money yeah. for them to sit there idle. Right. So if you have a good service team like we do here at Methods and all around the country, we can get guys out there to fix that. But the machines are good machines, right? Don't get me wrong. Sometimes the machine can sell itself, but it's how do you fix it and repair it and get it back up going. Do you think that that's changed a bit over the years, over say like the last decade? Has it shifted from being maybe 10 years ago it was more about the technology and now it's more about the service? I agree because if you look back 10 years ago, technology has changed a little bit, mm -hmm. but the machines can only go as fast as they can go now. They, right. Some of them go a little quicker, but most of them are in the same inches per minute, right? right. The revs and going. So it has changed a little bit, but I think that the service side of thing has changed enormously mm -hmm. because people realize it's just like, I don't know if it was Ford or Chevrolet that said, I'll give you the car free. Let me do the service. Right. Sure. And it's also a moneymaker. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the revenue there on the service side doing PMs and everything like that is a good revenue for a company, for any company out there. Yeah, sure. Is a part of that because the technology has just it's more come together. So it's like the different machine tool brands the differences in their technology, mm -hmm. the differences in their specifications, mm -hmm. it's harder to differentiate between them. I agree. I agree 100%. 100% on that. Yeah. I do. There's different tiers too, right? You've got your entry-level machines mm -hmm. that can only of do course. so much, mm -hmm. and then yeah, you've got sure. your mid-level, and mm -hmm. then you've got yep. your crazy, like, Yazdas yeah, 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 yeah. and, and things Top like that. Top of the pyramid, yep. But in each of those tiers, you have a lot of options. 100%. And spec for spec, the options kind of wash out. They do. Is that what you're saying? 100%. Yeah. They do. Like we talked about earlier, I think over the 10, maybe 15 years, the inches per minute are pretty much the same, right? The linear guideways, all of them go about the same, right? The 40 by 20 machines, everybody's got the footprint machines. And then it comes down to service and price. Sure. So you mentioned price. So there's like the price, quality, delivery, yep. triangle. And you always see that stupid thing, like you can only have two. And I think quality like is a given, like it needs to be a quality machine. Absolutely. So they're not even going to talk to you if they don't think it's quality sure. machine or enough quality for what they're trying to do. But delivery, let's talk about that. The ability to get a machine installed quickly. Is that a huge driver for who wins an order? It is right now. And as our side of the fence, that's why we have so much stock. Because when COVID hit, we were kind of like, oh my God, what are we going to do, right? So we wanted to have the machines in stock so that we could deliver it to the customer. Now, we probably have too much stock now, but that's a good problem to have. If you have too much stock, everybody wants to buy it and you'll eventually get rid of that stock. But having the it. machine in stock is a very important thing. And we can have a machine from warehouse to customer in five days. We have focused on that to make sure we can do that. Wow, really? Five days? Five days. And then give me the idea, like, typical install time. Obviously, it depends on the complexity of the equipment. It depends on the machine. So we'll just say uh, like a robo drill, right? You're talking, the guys can have it done in a day. Yeah, really? Yeah, pretty wow. quick. If there's a lot of options on it, like fifth axis and all that and probes, day and a half, two days. So if it was 
price, quality, and delivery is that paradigm, right? And we kind of take quality out because that's table stakes. And then as far as price or delivery, and then we'll call it technology. So price, delivery, and technology. What do you think is the biggest driver out of those three? Price. Yeah. Oh, is it really? 100%. Okay, so that would kind of go against that whole service model as far as selling the machine tools. Let me think about this for a second. So it really depends on the customer, the part. Like some customers, like big aerospace shops, price isn't a problem. But the mom and pop shops, the price is a problem. Okay. And that's where we got to focus on getting those quick machines in there, the lower price machines. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So what are those different tiers? I mean, is there three tiers, you think, to the different classes of machine tools? And what's the real differentiation between those? I think it's fair to say there's three tiers, right? You've got the beginning machines, right, that the job shops bring in or whatever. And then you've got the medium tier, the multi-axis lays, right, the two turret, three turret machines. And then you've got the big five-axis machine, multi-pallet. I think that's your top tier. Okay. And that's when you're getting into some more of the automation uh, side. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you still believe that it comes down to service selling the difference between I, I them? I do. I do. 100%. Okay. I do. So let's take you through a typical sales cycle. So for one, you've got different industries around here. Let me start with that question. So this particular market, like what's the mix of shops like? So you've got a mix of job shops. Semiconductor is very big right now because of Intel and the new place Taiwanese guys are building out here, out west. And then you have a little bit of medical, not much, but defense and satellite, SpaceX, all that stuff is big here in, in the valley. Okay. Very big. So when I hear those names, I'm thinking they're probably not the most price conscious shops out there, but maybe I'm associating that with the big like tier ones yeah. there, right? Because yeah. It trickles down and everybody needs parts. So everybody's feeding those big animals, right? Sure. Especially around here. Like the job shops and mom and pop shops are feeding those SpaceX, those big shops. Would you say it's getting a lot more fragmented? Like it's, I've said this before and I don't know if you would agree, but I think that there's more smaller shops and less larger shops in time. I agree with that. I think it's trending more towards I like small so 10, you're seeing 15 more and shops. more shops opening up. You're seeing more first-time buyers. I see a lot of people leaving the big shops, leaving the big tier ones, mm -hmm. starting their, starting own, their thing, own, and feeding that animal that they just left. Okay. I see that happen quite And those a bit. tier ones are supporting that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's a beautiful thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, that people are becoming more entrepreneurial, yeah. and that's the exact thing that we need in order to grow the manufacturing industry here in the United States. So you think about like that word entrepreneurial and like one of the first visions that comes into your mind is like knocking on doors and selling Mark Cuban, right? Yeah. I was knocking on doors and I was selling. So how do you guys figure out what doors to knock on? And after COVID and things like that, I think the general like super cold call, I'm still a fan of it. I lead a sales team. I think you got to do that. You got to drop in and see people. But like, what are some of the things that you do to like figure out where the shops are popping up, like where the next opportunity might be? Yeah. So we look at the USMTO, like you guys were talking about at the beginning. It's very important to look at that. And I appreciate you saying 100% of it's not true, right? There's some of it that's kind of fishy, right? But it gives you an idea what's selling in your area that you can focus on because two axis lays are pretty heavy out here, right? So we try to focus a little bit on that. And also the three axis, smaller 30 tape or 40 taper machines. But let's go before COVID, right? So I was a sales guy for about six years. I had this territory around this office. So if you take a five mile radius around this office in Tempe, we probably got 250 to 300 customers, right? Before COVID, I would park my car and just walk cold call like crazy, right? And then of course, there's customers that I'm really close with that I would go see weekly, right? After COVID, 
the cold calling is definitely different, right? There's still people a little concerned about things. It's like an insult. Like, how yeah, could you come exactly, in here? Exactly, right? So it's been kind of weird after COVID. Now, Phoenix has been kind of loose on that. I talked to my other colleagues, and it's tough for them to do cold calls now sure. because things have changed. But before COVID, I love cold calling, right? Yeah. I love walking into somebody. They're not expecting me. They're like, what are you doing here? Well, you called me. You don't remember? You know, or something <laughs> like that, right? So I love doing that because sure. I think doing that, you just don't have a milk route, right? Yeah, that yeah, That we yeah, always yeah. call as a salesman. You got the milk route. You only do this. You only do that. You just go see your pet customers. Exactly. And... You see four customers in a day. Oh, man, it's time for lunch. There's a two-hour lunch. Next thing you know, it's three o'clock. I'm done. Yeah, right. I love doing the cold calling and doing the thing around, but it's gotten tougher with COVID. I know nobody asked, but if you want my kind of theory on this, yeah, yeah. I think that what COVID did is that it let people know how important their families are to them and put things into perspective as far as that time that they were spending with family. And so now people don't want to necessarily dedicate the time to, I'm going to meet for an hour or two hours every single day with like a different salesperson because I got stuff to do. I got parts to get out. I got my own clients that I need to deal with and my schedule is very full right now. So yes, I want to see you, but let's make sure that that's productive work and we do it in a way that I can organize in order to be as efficient as I possibly can. I totally agree with that. I think things have changed for the good. Because I want to get back to my family. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Which is a good thing. Very good thing. I mean, friendships in this industry are very good too, but you have to be able to balance those things in a very effective way. So moving on kind of like a little bit of a different question. So the machine tool industry is pretty pivotal to our industry. What do you think that the machine tool industry is not doing well or could be doing better in order to support U.S. manufacturing? You mean people who are selling machine, the machine tools? Tool in, the machine tool dealers. Yeah, yes. yeah. So like what could they be doing better? In order to help grow U.S. manufacturing. They. The machine you. tool industry. Yeah, the dealers, people selling the machine tools. Yourself and others like you. Marketing. I think there needs to be more in-person meetings, test cuts, okay. open houses, lunch and learn. I hate that word, lunch and learn. Well, we'll call it eat and figure something out, right? <laughs> Everybody uses lunch and learn, but I think there needs to be more of that because that way when people can kick the tires on a machine, right? Like you go and look at a car, you test drive a car. We want to put their part on there to test cut it. And I think we machine tool distributors need to do more of that. Get okay. the customer in. Yeah. But again, I hate to keep saying this, COVID changed that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jason, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word setups? You're not making chips <laughs> yeah, and you're right. not making money. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the biggest battles that can hold you back as a manufacturer. Absolutely. So enter the Lean Setup Guide from ProShop. Okay, what's that? This guide can help anyone, whether you're a ProShop user or not, but ProShop users have experienced a 50% reduction in setup time because the software builds these lean principles into their process. Yeah, so it's a totally free download. You can go to ProShopERP.com slash 50 and you can get your copy of the Lean Setup Guide. Bam. I can tell you one of my gripes about the machine tool industry. Yeah. yeah so one of hear. my gripes as a cutting tool distributor is that you all don't get us involved enough. And here's where I'm coming from. You guys are experts in what you do, selling machine tools, specking out machine tools, making sure that the customer gets what they want from them, installing them. We are experts in what we do. And I think sometimes the machine tool guys think they're so smart. Well, we could do the cutting tool side too. They're just like, we could do that. And what we've seen is when we as a cutting tool distributor are able to partner up with a 
machine tool distributor, we've actually changed their mindset about applications. And they're like, oh, you guys actually really are adding a lot of value to this application. And you're specking out something here that we didn't know about. Because a lot of times the machine tool guys are not at the cutting edge Mm, of cutting tool technology, nor should you be. You can't do everything. So I think this is going to come full circle with what I'm about to say. Because So yours was like, let's do more practical like runoffs and but get, those could be together because that, like what i'm getting at. where we've been at so he's like let's do more in-person things where we're run like hey they have this challenge and we're going to solve it here in our demo room but then you rope in partners right so some folks do this really well yeah because i mean we've but taken at large to answer the original question i know he asked you but here's what i see i want to answer that too because yeah. i got something for him on i that. think that they're like oh here's my thing they stay in their lane and there's like i gotta move metal yep. i gotta just sell machines sure. And maybe they're not holistic enough. I agree. How would you answer that? So you got the wrong people that you work with because, and I am being completely honest. Yeah. All the big boys come in here, the cutting tool guys. We have meetings with my apps team. I tell my apps team, you listen to these guys. If they're telling you it's not working, they know their stuff, just like we know our stuff. But yeah. let's merge it together. And I work with all the big guys. They come in here well, but and remember, we do a lunch and learn here too. I'm not a cutting tool OEM. Okay. I'm not a manufacturer of cutting tools. I'm a distributor of cutting gotcha. tools. So I represent all of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what I would bring to the table is, okay, if you're going to bring, say, a Kenna Metal, a Sandvik, an Iskar, yep. an Ingersoll, yep. a yep. Mitsubishi, Horn, all Mitsubishi, yeah, 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 yeah. Seiko, bring those yep. guys to the table. Yep. That's fine. Yep. But they're going to look at their own product and say, well, this is going to be the best thing, but it's not necessarily the best thing because they're not looking outside of their own product line. Whereas I might be able to look at an application and be like, okay, X brand is good there, mm. but Y brand, we can cut that cycle time So they're half. limited yeah. by who they have to be loyal to, so they may not make recommendations outside yep. of their own portfolio. Yeah, I see that all the time. And we've made like paradigm shifts in parts that were specced out by a machine tool guy and like, wow, that change you just made just made us look yeah. really, made the machine tool yeah. dealer look really good because sure. of what we specced yeah. out that they hadn't even thought and about. that's why... We need to have those two teams working together, right? And that's another thing that's 100%, right? We've got to do that. And if we don't do that, we're missing the mark. The answer to the question is they stay too far in their own lane. And when you're in your own lane, you're not able to really see it from your customer's perspective because they don't have an obligation to buy one kind of machine or one kind of cutting tool or one kind of work. And they don't have time to look at. <laughs> but when we mix the minds, because like your point, sometimes it helped sell the machine. We've put these like weird prismatic fixtures on a five axis mill and like all of a sudden they go from what they were doing one part at a time and they're doing eight. Yeah. Now they can cost like, justify oh, that. <laughs> now I can buy the full piece of equipment right. because like I actually have what I need to get me through the night. And I was thinking about getting to an automated machine yeah. situation. So I think that's the problem is like people stay too far in their own lane. And look, you can understand that you have your own business to serve. Right. But if people can like not have sharp elbows and they can I bring like everybody that. together. I like that. Yeah, I agree. They'll all sell more. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's all about partnership. We talked about before that when you're specking out that machine tool to buy, it's based on that feeling is like, what is the feeling that I'm going to have buying that? But it also like if you dig deeper down below the feeling, it's the trust that you have. So do I trust that they're going to be able to service the machine and get me back up and running when I need them to? And then it also comes down to, okay, if I'm going to partner with Zengers on these cutting tool applications, can I trust that they're going to bring the best application to the table? And sometimes the machine tool distributors don't necessarily trust the cutting tool distributors because maybe they've had experiences where they haven't been as like technically astute as what they should be. Sure. Yeah. There's always the horror story. Yeah. Right? 
or the one where... Especially when you're dealing with like the big cutting tool distributors that in general, they don't really have that knowledge. Yeah. Can I share a quick story? Yeah, please do. The tooling guys. So a really big customer of ours, Aerospace, they were having problems with the cutoff, right? I had this company come in. We need help. Tony, we got the fix. So it was a Y-axis cutoff coming from the bottom up and it solved their problem and they love it. Yeah. So that's a good example of where I called this company and said, come in. I don't know what's going on. I need your expertise. And now they look great. Now they're buying direct through them and that's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's a partnership, right? Right. There's a big piece of pie and I'm a big boy. I like big pieces of pie, but we can all have a piece of that pie, right? Yeah. We can all have it. And I think going back to what you said, Nick, about the sharp elbows, I think that there's some machine tool distributors that might get a little bit greedy and they're like, okay, well, I need that piece. I want that cutting tool sale. And it's like, is it really going to help you to get that 3% extra sale? You know, it's like, give me a break. You don't really need that sale. It would be better if you form those partnership and you guys work with each other and you refer to each other and you helped each other out where you needed to. You're probably going to increase sales a lot more than that. Yeah, because then you can focus on where you're specialized. Yeah, because it all comes out to, yeah, specialized. It's like, I'm not going to be an expert in selling machine tools. I'm not even going to try that. You know what I mean? And you guys aren't going to be an expert in selling cutting tools because we live and breathe that on a daily basis. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's kind of the bottom feeder. (laughs) See, you even admit it. (laughs) Tony says, I don't want to do that. And the I don't want to do that is a huge challenge for me because fixturing gets way more complex than the cutting tool stuff. Big time. Sometimes. sometimes. That's what you think. (laughs) No, but what do you think, Tony? Like a custom built fixture versus what kind of cutting tool you're going to put in the tool changer? I'll be completely honest. The cutting tools are harder. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because it's all about finish, cycle time and all that. And the fixtures come into that. But... I don't even try to get into the fixture stuff. That's why I've got customers that do that. Yeah. It's just, it's too much time consuming, right? That'll take you away from selling machine tools. Right? So many people do cutting but, tools wrong. So that's the part that he just said at the end is what I was referring to. They yeah. don't even want to touch it. Yeah. Because it could slow down the sale it of a machine. It slows you down. Yeah. So maybe the complexity wasn't the word, but like they don't want to touch it because yeah. I'm trying to sell the machine. Now I got to go through this engineering exactly. process. It's not something I can buy off the shelf. And that, which was my point. Yeah. You can buy that stuff off the shelf. You got to get the right Most thing the off the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. But but if it's not something they can buy off the shelf, then it's like a whole nut. Every machine you sell, you don't like custom make. Well, the fixturing is like a custom built thing. So it's like, all right, well, I know that I'm going to sell fixtures when they're selling machines because it's part of the package. So how do I get them to want to like partner up? And you got to think about the problem that the end customer has to solve. Like he's got to get it all. He's got to get the cutting tools and the right cutting tools. And maybe it's a custom tool. He's got to get the right fixturing. It might not just be an off the shelf vice that you can buy from anybody. And he's got to get the right kind of machine tool. So like if all of us want to sell something, we got to think about everything that he's trying to accomplish. But to go back to your point, it's a team, right? So a lot of machine tool guys will want all that, right? They'll go in for the cutting tools or work holding. Why not go in with a team, right? You got your port and starboard team go in and you knock it out together, right? You all become a team and the customer loves that stuff. Yeah, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, I am really impressed by what you guys put together. (laughs) And you know what? When you got cutting tool problems, you don't call me. Yeah. You call the cutting tool guy, right? Exactly. For fixture problems. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. So here's another thing that can hold back a machine sale. And I want your perspective on this. But like we talk a lot about the skills gap. Like it's only getting bigger. And people aren't necessarily as competent as they once were. So how does the gap that's widening affect or impact your ability to sell machine tools? So we see that a lot. We're seeing it more and more. So what we do when we sell a machine, we will do like a two or three day training and we will even do more than that. Whatever it takes to get the customer trained or their operator trained, because if you don't do that, the machine's going to crash. The machine's going to bump, they call it, right? 
but you've got to train the customer too. And we do training here, right? Our room here. We'll bring customers in before they get the machine and go through the control and show them what we do and all that. So we'll hold their hand along the whole way, however long that takes, right? I mean, if they start getting too aggressive and want us there 24-7, then we got to talk. But we'll stay with them as, as long as we have to. So before they buy this equipment that they think, man, maybe my shop isn't ready or my people aren't ready to take this next level of complexity. To me, I see it the most when it's like adding automation. They're like afraid to do it. They know they should, but they're afraid to do it because they don't know that they're actually going to be able to utilize it. Is that what you see too? I do see that. And people are afraid of robots, but I'm telling you, if I can program them, anybody can program them. They are very easy to program. And people are afraid of the automation side, the robot side, because they think it's going to take their job. It's quite frankly, the other side. I have this conversation all the time with people. Oh yeah, they're going to kick us out and take our jobs. I said, no, if you learn it, they need somebody to program it, right? Somebody's got to still feed the beast, right? Somebody still has to do that. And that's becoming more and more people are starting to realize the robots are really going that way, the automation. So your answer to solving the skills gap was you want to help the customer in order to properly train their people. Absolutely. I think Nick's question was, how does the skills gap affect you as like, are you having trouble finding qualified service people or have you changed the way that you've done things? No, you actually answered my question right. I like his question. Yeah, Yeah, I like that too. So Yes, it's hard to find people. And when you do find somebody that comes out of college, I'll be completely honest, they'll want $150,000. And I'm like, no, you got to earn your way up to that, right? Right, right. Just because you have a degree, I respect that, but you got to earn your way. You just can't jump in from 20 bucks an hour to 80 bucks an hour and think everything's okay. You can't do that. You got to earn your way there. They don't teach you how to fix and run machine tools in college. They just teach you general engineering stuff. But we are having problems. There is a gap thing there that we're hard to find people. I think more people are just not wanting to work. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but maybe you need to edit that. I don't know. But it just seems like it's harder to get people, right? 10, 15 years ago, you could find a service guy walking down the street. Now you can't. Are you looking in other areas where you didn't look before to find a service technicians? Is that the biggest problem? That's the biggest problem. So okay. great point. So and service sells. So. Yeah, service sells. So I am going to share a story. So My service manager, Wayne, his daughter is dating a guy who's a diesel mechanic, right? 22 years old. Yeah. I said, bring him in. I want to talk to him. Sat down, talked to Braxton. I loved his energy. I mean, at 22 years old, I love this kid. He's awesome. The kid is on fire. He's a sponge. He wants to learn. We got another young kid out there that came in from Florida. He's another sponge. I love that because passing the torch, right? I'm going to be around another 10 years and hopefully I'm playing golf the rest of my life, but (laughs) Those are the people that need to take over because we are going to have a gap problem Yeah, because people around my age, 10 to 15 years, they're going to be gone. And that goes for service guys too. Yeah, for sure. So you're finding, is he able to have a better career as a machine tool technician than he was as a diesel Absolutely. mechanic? Absolutely. Okay. And why is that? More money or more just money. better? More money, more to learn. Life? More growth. Okay. He can higher advance technology. higher technology. I mean, where else can you look? I mean, like HVAC. HVAC. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Yeah. HVAC. Actually, there was a guy that came in here to work on our server, and I really liked his energy and everything. Yeah. I'm going to poke him a little bit and see. Yeah. And maybe you could switch somebody over there. I mean, can you train people from scratch? Like, if you met somebody that was like the barista at Starbucks and yeah. he was really good, and I mean, can you train them to? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a really good training program here. They walk them through the steps. Absolutely. So you mentioned like, can they make more as a machine tool service person versus a diesel mechanic? And back to your point, like, I don't think we need to edit out that people aren't willing to work yeah. as much. I think the other element to that problem is they're in college or wherever they're at with their peers and their buddy gets a job for 130 grand in whatever industry. And then this other kid gets a job right out because like skills gap is broader than just us. 
So there's people getting hired for like what I think are crazy amounts of money. And then they see that and they think they can just jump into here and start there. But they need to think a little bit like a couple layers deeper because what's the security like? If you're a competent machinist, if you're a competent programmer, if you're a competent machine tool service person, that's some job security, man. You know yeah, what I mean? No doubt about it. And it just keeps going up. We've talked about this a lot too. Like the millennials, if I'm going to use the M word, <laughs> the millennials. Which you're a part of. Which I am, right. But we're like video game generation, right? Right. We don't want to know, like, how do I beat the boss? How do I get to the next level? How do I elevate my score? And if you can create a career path where it's like, yeah, you're going to start here. By the time you can do this, like by the time you're competent enough to do this, it'll get you to here. And then it'll get you to here. That I think is something that more businesses need to do is like the career path planning. Like they feel like, all right, I'm on a trajectory that I'm going to like in three, four years. Yeah. So now as far as applications, we've had a couple of interviews for application engineers, which is another hard one to fill in sometimes, but they want to work from home. That doesn't even flow in my, how do you work from home and program apart? I mean, I understand how you do it, but you need to be hands-on, right? On the machines on the floor. You can't do that virtually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's it might be a hybrid. But, yeah. Right. right. You know? I agree with you. You can't be 100% at home. But are you open to more like flexible? Historically, we haven't been advanced machine engineering. Like, no, you got to come here. But we're starting to maybe widen our view a little bit. Like maybe in certain roles that are mostly digital, it can be like a day here, a day in, a day here. What's your thought about that? Basically... I'll be completely honest with you is that I'm old school. I want people here. But as methods as a whole, we are starting to broad out that way. Yeah. 100%. Because I think you have to, to get the good people, right? Some of them want to be hybrid two days, three days or whatever the case may be. But if you ask me personally, I want your butt here. Yeah. Because when I had to work from home for a week, it drove me nuts and I felt like I wasn't working. Right. I don't like that. Right, right. Well, they say that in the future, flexibility is the key to attracting people. Sure. I agree. So I agree. on a lot of fronts. And this is about sales, right? So all of these things we're talking about are markets. You Absolutely. know, you're in the market to get people. And so you got to sell them something they want to buy. Yeah, there you, you go. Know, just, just the same with the machine tool. Well, Tony, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed. It was a great conversation. I think I learned quite a bit and yeah, I think it was a good, healthy... What's your biggest takeaway from this? It's over with already? <laughs> it's over with <laughs> yeah, already, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, we could do it again in the future we for should. sure. We but, try to keep it to know? a commute. You yeah, know? there you All go. Right. But my biggest takeaway was just that we need to put those partnerships together. We need, yeah. And for the sake of the manufacturing leaders, for the sake of the industry, in order to just really help people, the manufacturers accomplish their goals. Yeah, every factor that the end customer is considering, we have to consider too. And yeah. that might mean you have to go grab some partnerships. So yeah. speaking of partnerships, the way that you can partner with Making Chips and yeah. help us out is you can like, you can review, you can rate five our stars. podcast. But most importantly, share it with somebody who you think yeah. this might help. Share with another manufacturing leader who wants to know the inside of the machine tool industry and could benefit from this conversation. And you can tell that person there is now 364 episodes. Yeah, one a day. And if you listen to one a day. Go back to the beginning. People be have done expert. it. Eat that, Tony Gunn. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tony Gunn. yeah. Oh, we were joking earlier. <laughs> yeah. We were like, I hope I don't accidentally call you Tony Gunn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't even have a podcast, does he? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it's about firearms or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> something that he really loves. Yeah. <laughs> the gun show, right? Or travel or something. <laughs> Tommy Gunn. I don't know. So, so, do you know how we end our episodes, Tony? No, I can't wait to see. Without you knowing, let me see if you can finish this sentence. If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam.